Welcome to Double Vision, a reality recap podcast with Jules and Keens. Let's get into it. We get to talk about Real Housewives of Atlanta today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And I also, I have to say, rewatching this season has been such a fever dream. Like, I remembered everything and at the same time remembered nothing. And I'm so excited that we get to revisit this entire iconic season. Yeah. I mean, just to give everybody like a little history. Um, Atlanta started, I think, a year after New York did. Mm-hmm. I think season one of Atlanta happened during season two of New York. The reason I remember this is because way back when, in 2008, <laughs> I was a professional recapper of Housewives episodes oh for Soap.net. <laughs> I had to watch the episode the night that it aired and then write a recap and submit it by midnight so that it could be on the soap.net site the next day. And um, fun fact, the night Obama was elected and everybody in the East Bay was like out in the streets partying. I was like, I have to go home and watch Real Housewives of Atlanta. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that so much. So Atlanta's a long running um, franchise, Mm -hmm. but I feel like it's kind of underviewed, undervalued. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who are like, oh, I only watched Beverly Hills in New York. And then, then I started watching Salt Lake and now I watch Potomac and they like missed Atlanta. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're missing the best one. That's so funny. Because I will say that from my perspective, I don't want to be like as a black woman, but honestly, I had never heard of New York really until the pandemic. And... Everybody I know, if they watch any franchise, it was Atlanta. But it was sort of, to your point, I think you're exactly right, that in terms of when people think about Real Housewives, they're generally defaulting to like New York, New Jersey, Beverly Hills. Although Orange County, uh, well, it gets the rep that it deserves. The very fact that there are people who are obsessed with New Jersey, which in my opinion is a low vibration franchise. And then they haven't watched Atlanta. I'm just like, sorry, you need to check yourself. You need to like really examine your choices. Mm. And then you need to wake up. (laughs) And then you need to watch season five of Real Housewives of Atlanta and just keep going from there. Yeah, agreed. Um, oof. Uh, listen, you said it. I agreed with it, but I, I didn't say anything. So um, season five, it originally aired in November of 2012. Um, and so this was uh, this is a full housewife season series. So it goes for, what, 24 episodes. And so it begins in November 2012. And then it ends. What? Why is no. Siri? Siri is the worst. Nobody cares. <laughs> I love that you have Siri oh, as a man. God. Well, because I just <laughs> felt like it would be disrespectful as a feminist to scream, shut up, bitch, when it's actually a woman talking to me. Shut up, man. We don't need you right. interrupting us. Right? Nobody asked you, mansplainer. <laughs> okay. So you were saying... <laughs> 
<laughs> it started in November 2012. And it went through the spring of 2013. Um, we could probably stand to do a little bit of background on some of the housewives. I mean, I'll say, you know, there are, a lot happens in the first four seasons, but it's season five is actually a great place to start because we get two new um, icons yep. that season. And we kind of usher in a new era of the show. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're loving season five, I mean, you would probably also love seasons one through four if you ever want to go back and revisit them. Right. I mean, it. I think that this was a group of women, particularly, right, Nini and Kim Zolciak, who were icons from the very beginning based on just who they are as people. Like you can sort of tell that they weren't necessarily putting on a persona this is their actual chaotic energy yes and it is amazing reality. yeah and we have a few other chaos queens in early seasons Sheree Whitfield is there and mm -hmm. she you know comes in and out of the franchise she's great um but when it comes to Kenya and Portia it's hard to beat. Like they really bring us so much and I can't wait to get into it. Right. Oh man. All right. So let's, let's get into it. Yeah. Should we start with their tagline? Yes, we should. I happened to write them down. And I knew that you would, but I also wrote them down in real time because fun fact on episode one of season five, Portia doesn't have a tagline because her storyline isn't included in the very first episode. So I thought to myself, wait, was she a friend of for the first season? And then because I am a podcasteress and a journalist, I looked it up. She is not a friend of. She is a full-fledged housewife, but she doesn't get introduced until episode two. Yeah. And so we'll just, for this episode, we'll save her Kenya. And then next episode, we'll <laughs> savor them both. We'll get a little salty and a little sweet. That's what you get with oh, the two of goodness. them. Right. But so do you have Porsche's tagline by chance? Not yet, but I will get it next week. Okay. No, it's fine. I also have them. So go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, do you want to do Nini's? Yes. So Nini's is I have arrived and the spotlight is on me, honey. Yes. <laughs> I'll do candy. I may be small, but my empire keeps on growing. Oh, my goodness. Perfect. So I will do Cynthia, who her tagline, which is actually my favorite, is beauty fades. Class is forever. Yes, but Cynthia's beauty never fades. Never fades. Kim says, I asked, I believed, I received. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you have to do, Kim. Right. <laughs> Followed by Phaedra, who says, I'm a Southern belle. Brains, booty, and all business. And then we have Kenya. I won Miss USA, not Miss Congeniality. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's so perfect. And I think I will say that this is one of those situations where the taglines do sort of set us up for what happens throughout the season in a way that I'm sure it still happens with Housewives, but I don't know. I think that there's something so pure about the earlier seasons when there weren't a bunch of spoilers on the internet and you got to react to things in real time and you didn't know where things were going per se. Absolutely. I mean, I think that there, I think that it was just an area of the Housewives being less self-aware. Mm. Many of them truly thought like, this is a show where I will show off how great my life is. <laughs> and the little masses will watch it and think about how cool I am. <laughs> and 
you know, Bravo was able to sustain that delusion for quite some time, but now they all know. They Mm -hmm. all know the game. And I have to say, Nini was one of the first people, I think, to get it and be like, oh, I'm here to entertain. I'm here to make Mm -hmm. moments. I'm here to, like, have incredible reads and, like, you know – be, she kind of is like our audience surrogate like we're all we're all kind of on Nini's side mm-hmm. and um I think she she just got that at a time when a lot of people didn't get it yeah agreed um so speaking of Nini we actually open the episode with Greg and Nini um they're in her home and we discover right and so this is the one, I think, piece that is a sort of continuation of the earlier seasons. But so Greg and Nini had been married for approximately, what, 15 years? And then things sort of hit a rough patch. And so they got divorced. But this season, season five, opens with Greg trying to win her back. Yeah. And we've seen them together for most of the the first four seasons and Greg is like older. He's got like such a cute kind of like grandpa sense of humor. Mm-hmm. He's very dry. Like he's really charming in his own way, but he's very quiet compared to Nini. Um, it seems like the narrative is just that he got a little, he felt like the fame was kind of getting to her head or she changed or maybe she wasn't prioritizing him the way he thought he should be. Mm-hmm. It's kind of unclear though. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I I will say that um, Greg and Nini and their relationship was one that I think continues to be an example of how, like, partners show up for their partners, right? So we never saw Greg – or so we never saw Nini talking badly about Greg. And then in the opportunities on the show, right, we can't speak to outside the show, but on the show – Whenever Greg had an opportunity to sort of uplift and to talk about how amazing Nini was, that's exactly what he did. And so for that reason, we didn't get a lot of clarity on what actually contributed to the demise of the relationship. But we know that when season five opens, Greg is very willing to admit that he is the person that's done everything wrong and that Nini is perfect. Yeah. And I mean, we know that's what Nini wants to hear. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But this is a man who loves he loves his wife and he wants her back so he'll do whatever i mean he said she'll say jump and he'll say how high right yeah it's cute we're coming in on like really the peak of nini's popularity like she was such a smash success Mm -hmm. she's about to be cast on a network sitcom like as an acting comedian which is so huge. Yeah. Um, the New Normal, not a very long-lasting show, but mm-hmm. the premise was it was like, I believe, two gay men raising a child or children, and then she's their friend, and it's sort of like, this is like a new family. Yeah, something like that. It's funny because I remember thinking, I was like, oh, the one with Abigail Breslin, but that is not the New Normal, as far as I can tell. That may have been um, <laughs> Little Miss Sunshine. Um, (laughs) okay so a movie right uh completely different but I just remember the the new normal for me and it's probably like this weird brain thing but it represented 
like a different type of family. And I think that that's probably why I led with Little Miss Sunshine, because you had like the intergenerational discussion. And then you had like this entire family sort of coming together to like help this girl. But so, yeah, the new normal, as far as I remember, what I remember the most is actually in reference to Glee, because Nini played a character who was opposite, opposite, opposite Jane Lynch. Um, who was in charge of the Cheerios and was like a tough as nails coach. And Nini's character was the tougher than nails coach, right? She beat um, Jane Lynch's character more than once because like, she was so good. Like to play opposite Jane Lynch, like that's such a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. To go from housewives to that, I mean – People really need to continue to give Nene Leakes her flowers, for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, my kids are into Sister Sister right now, and Nene's really giving me Jack Hay energy. Mm. And I could totally see her as that just like, like kind of playing a similar character all the time, but just like being so funny, just the way that Jack Hay says everything is so funny. Oh, yeah. I feel like that was like kind of her path for a little while. Yeah, I could see that too. Oh, man. What could have been? Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we go to Candy. Mm-hmm. Candy, I think everyone needs to know, she's like a truly successful self-made housewife yeah. in a way that like of the hundreds of housewives, she's by far the most successful just based on her own talent and what she's been able to do. Yep. She was in the group Escape in the 90s. She's written a lot of successful to- songs, including Scrubs. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, No Scrubs. Yeah. No Scrubs. She wrote that. It's incredible. <laughs> um, she has so much money. And um, she is just now starting to date Todd. Right. And so at this point in season five, we meet Todd and Candy. And they've only been they've been dating for almost a year at the start of the season. And they've also decided to move in together. And so we get a little bit of a glimpse. And I think one of the things that I love the most is sort of seeing these housewives that we I've sort of seen grow into the women that they are in present day, but where they were right over a decade ago at this point. And so Todd and Candy talk a little bit about how they met on, on the set of the show, how he's in production how it was like his birthday and she serenaded him and they, you know, talked for hours and hours and hours. And then she just sort of knew that this was going to be something. And so they make the leap after not even being together a year to move in together, which keeping in mind how successful Candy is and how Todd is not I mean, nobody is as successful and as rich as Candy. Yeah, Burks, but his right? job is basically like he was a he was working on the crew on one of the housewives trips, and that's how they met. So you know, he's like a working guy. Exactly. And so at this point, they're sort of out to dinner. It's very cute, very romantic. They're talking about having kids. I mean, it's just it's so weird to describe this as like young love because I wrote down that Candy is 36 and Todd is 39. And so they're joking like, oh, you're not a spring chicken. Like you need to if we're going to have kids, we need to do this sooner instead of later. But I mean, it was just it was really cute. It was really cute. I mean, you can just totally see how well they work together and that like they've got something really special and just couldn't happen to a better lady. Right. 
Okay, speaking of, now we've met some of the better ladies. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel without telling me how I you mean, really feel. I mean, okay, here comes Kim. Kim Zolciak, to be clear. She, like, how do I put this? I would never use the term white cra- trash Ooh. to describe people who are poor or people who, like, live out in the boonies or anything like that. And please keep in mind, I grew up in a small, low-income white town, so I feel like I have a lot of sympathy here, and I don't believe in, like, ascribing things to people just because of how much money they have. Yep. But Kim is white trash. (laughs) And she's not poor. She's just, like, trash. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's her... Her attitude, her like self entitlement, like the way everything about her, you're just like, oh, this lady. I mean, and I think she's put on this show so that we can all just like laugh at this like clownish white lady. And I'm right there with you. Anyone who's doing that, I am too. Um, and so I just, I can't take her seriously because she's actually kind of like really like a deeply awful person. But damn she's so entertaining at the same time yeah and it's so funny because I never thought about Kim in the ways that you just described uh, really <laughs> and I mean maybe it's also because I saw her as somebody who you know good bad indifferent come hell or high water is very much like sort of herself and she stands in whatever it is that it like even when it is complete foolishness like she's not somebody and I don't know, maybe this is part of her appeal because I never, Kim never bothered me on the show. I liked her when she came back. Like, you know, it, it's fine. But she she wasn't the type of person that would say something behind your back and not say it to your face. And I think that that's something that was, that is missing in this new era of Housewives, right? There wasn't a lot of sneakiness to her approach. It was blatantly, like, ignorant sometimes and absolutely ridiculous. But it didn't bother me because I was like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, Kim. She's really ignorant, but she's too ignorant to understand that, like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. So she just says whatever. And it's like, you're lady, you're uninformed. I remember in, I think, episode one, they're at a restaurant and someone serves her guacamole and she's like ew what's that it's green it's <laughs> like oh my god right. oh man I feel like we're gonna get so off track thinking about these things because that also reminds me of when uh Kim was talking about how she was like a registered nurse and then cut to Phaedra saying listen just because you wore a nurse's outfit when you were at the strip club don't make sure. <laughs> yes Oh, the reeds are immaculate. But no, so I will say this season, um, we open up with Kim and it's, it is a little bit refreshing because we are used to Kim chain smoking with a terrible wig. And now she's seven months pregnant with a terrible wig. <laughs> and it's, yeah. So she's just drinking Mountain Dew. Yeah. <laughs> and so up until now, we've known her as having a boyfriend called Big Daddy. Oh, yeah. A secret boyfriend who she's constantly about to get engaged to, and he's buying her rings, but we never see him, and then they broke up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she met Croy, a, like, a really sweet, maybe not the brightest NFL player, and they are, like, very into each other. Yep. They got married. There was, like, a wedding special in which – 
Kim kicked her parents out of the wedding for <laughs> refusing to use the porta potties and going into her house. Oh my god! I just choked. I just choked on air, ladies and gentlemen, both figuratively and literally. I couldn't breathe because I did not remember that. But as soon as she said it, Jules, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. She was so mad. Oh, my God. Um, Now they're in this, like, giant mansion. It's always a question of, like, how do you guys have the money for this lifestyle? Kim Kim has an assistant named Sweetie. Oh, God. Sweetie isn't, like, trying that hard, but at the same time, it's like, Kim, why are you paying an assistant? Like, you don't work. Yeah, it's... I. And so we also have seen on multiple occasions just how inept Sweetie is at doing her job. (laughs) And so there is this really cute... And by cute, I mean sad um, piece (laughs) where Kim mentions, yeah, so I rehired Sweetie. I know. And we're like, why? This isn't (laughs) making your life any easier. I I don't understand it, but okay. Um, And so there we, the, (laughs) the season begins with Croy and Kim being in this like very dire situation where they have to move out of their home. And they only have two weeks to do it. And it's like, what is it, like 17,000 square feet? Oh, my gosh. And the reasoning is like, we were leasing to buy, but then it got appraised for less. So we couldn't buy at the regular amount. And we've put hundreds of thousands of dollars into landscaping. And now we just have to move. And it's like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, something's up. You just can't afford the mansion. And this is your big story about why you have to move. It's so crazy. It's actually ridiculous. And so we have this scene where she gets a phone call from somebody who their title is moving coordinator, (laughs) which, okay. Like, again, you've hired a moving coordinator, okay. And they confirm the cost for the move, and it is $101,000. Yeah, supposedly for moving all the stuff out and then putting it in storage for a few months, which is just like, why are you doing that? But... There's no way that it costs that much. I feel like this is a staged phone call and Kim is like, we're going to do this big story about how it costs too much to move so we can't move. Because she keeps asking Corey, like, can't we just stay in the house, though? What if we just stayed in the house? Like, she wants to squat in the house. Yeah. This is a trashy move. It is. (laughs) It is. Right? And I'm never going to say squatters' rights don't matter, right? But in this, no, in this case, she's trying to squat in like a big mansion. Right. And so part of, and so for those, listen, I hate that I know too much about squatters' rights and all of these things. But so basically there's all of these different factors that you have to um, meet in order to get the right to stay in a place. And one of the main things is that, like, people have to know about it. Like, it has to be open and notorious. And so it's, like, if it's consistent, it's open and notorious. So when you think about, for example, somebody who is stealthily sneaking into a house at night, they don't have squatter's rights because people aren't openly aware of it. But when somebody has been leasing a place and then they hold over, that's when you're most likely to end up with a squatter situation where if enough time passes then the squatter actually gets the right to stay where they are like you can't actually evict them because too much time has passed and they've now garnered the right to remain right I'm not a property law expert but I remember this from law school and it was one of the funniest things there's like all of these 
It's fine. It's going to take me. I'm going to I'm going to have PTSD symptoms from the bar exam. So we're going to have to move on. But, <laughs> no, but I love this information. I really feel like that's what she's kind of like. I feel like she's got a strategy here. Yes. That and the whole she says continuously throughout the episode. Well, it's going to take 90 days to evict, which is not actually accurate. Oh, but she's taken that on as her persona. And I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um. So now we go to Phaedra, who's just like, I don't even know how to describe it. Watching Phaedra is such a delight. Like just mm. everything she says. I love her voice. I love the way she looks like yeah. she she's so charming. I was just like honey drips from her mouth. Oh, that's such a good description of Phaedra. <laughs> and you know how much I love Phaedra, right? <laughs> I got called Phaedra as a young almost lawyer, mm. right? Oh my God. Right. Also because I had terrible taste in men just mm-hmm. like Phaedra. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll get to that. We'll and get to Phaedra, that. while she has a lot of practice, her passion, we learned last season, is to be a funeral director. Right. So she's really pushing for like a funeral business. She's taking over from this guy, like Willie something, and she's mm-hmm. going to take over his mortuary. And it's so funny because of all the housewife crazy careers, no one has been like, I'm going to be a mortician. Right. It's in- It's just incredible. It's incredible. And so she presents this, and this it's to your point about her like speaking like honey right she says oh well my for my next entrepreneurial endeavor i'd like to be the vera wang of funerals and i was like (laughs) what and then we see her go to a dog shelter and be like if you have any clients send them my way i really want to get into dog funerals like what Because pet funerals are the new horizon. <laughs> and to me, my favorite part, my favorite beat in this entire interaction is when um, the veterinarian is talking about how her dog, like Olive, is with her all the time. And then Phaedra turns and says, oh, well, do you have any actual children? <laughs> and she's like, no. She's like, oh, so then he's just like your child right could you imagine him dead and i was like what are you doing (laughs) please stop oh phaedra oh phaedra (laughs) (laughs) okay and i have to mention so i wrote this down because i feel like as a dog mom myself it was particularly hilarious and i don't know that i remember this when i originally watched it because i didn't have mooney at the time but so Phaedra mentions like, oh, you know, because I, you know, when our animals would die, I don't know. And then she says, they may be next door in the creek. I don't know. But I was like, yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah, she's like, I don't know what we did. Talking about like when she grew up with her dogs, she's like, they probably in the creek next door. Like, right. oh my God. Right. They went off and they said, oh, we have a doctor's appointment. Then we never saw him again, you know? And it's just like, okay, were you shooting dogs in your backyard? Like, what is happening? And then throwing them in a creek? Is that what you're suggesting? And then she ends with, well, make me your go-to girl, you know? (laughs) She's definitely someone who's so charming. She probably gets, she gets away with saying all kinds of wild stuff because she says it so well. Oh my gosh. Because she is like through and through like a Southern woman. Like she was born and raised in, in Georgia, right? She went to law school and undergrad, I believe, in Georgia. Like she is hometown through and through Georgia 
on her mind at all times. And I think that it really works for the type of person that she is and the type of character and persona that she's able to create. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wait, should we take a break? Oh my gosh, we should. Okay. And we're back. So next we get to check in with Cynthia and Peter. Yeah, Cynthia Bailey is like a real model. She was a super big deal. She's so beautiful. So beautiful. Like honestly, she doesn't have to do anything interesting for me to just want to watch her. She's like just one of the most stunning people I've ever seen. Yeah, she's so gorgeous. Those cheekbones. It's amazing. Yeah. And so when we uh, meet her and her husband at the time, Peter Thompson? That sounds right. Okay. Peter Thomas. Oh, well, we can tell who is the more (laughs) um, interesting, intriguing, and popular of this uh, couple. No, he's kind of a clown, and it's annoying that she's married to him. This is a classic, like, wealthy, gorgeous, successful woman just settling for... A, this guy who's kind of a joke in my yeah, opinion I was I mean it, it is what it is I, I will say that she so in the earlier seasons we see her get married of course she looks stunningly beautiful and gorgeous and all those things but so it opens up with her and Peter and they're in their kitchen and then Leon who was like her lover Leon is he was her wasn't he her husband He's no her no no oh. remember she, the first person she married was Peter oh okay so he was her lover and she had a daughter with him and Leon is so hot. Yeah. He's a real actor. I've seen him in things. Oh like yeah. He just pops up and stuff. Are you giving me, so he, the biggest, I think one of the biggest things that he's been in was he was in the Temptations movie and so he played David Ruffin. And so if anybody is familiar with, and nobody come here to see you, Otis, that was David Ruffin, and we find out later on that that was actually an ad lib by Leon. Damn, Leon so. is oh, he's so cool. He's so tall. He's so handsome. It's he's a very like sexy, intriguing. Like I feel like sexy is like the perfect word to describe him. He moves sexy. Everything about him is like very like Cynthia and Leon look like they are absolutely meant to be together, just based on like looks and vibes. And then I don't know what Peter is doing here. Yeah, it. When you put it like that, yeah, the image is a bit much. Actually, you have this like beautiful woman, this beautiful man, and then this like shorter, older-looking <laughs> gentleman, which Who is like doesn't make his own money and just uses Cynthia's <laughs> money. And he's like, there's like definitely some like sort of vi- like undercurrents of financial abuse going on throughout. It's just like, what is this? Oh my goodness. So basically we find out that Leon is there because he's visiting and whenever he comes to Atlanta to visit, he stays with them. Uh, Cynthia clarifies like we're all adults. Peter doesn't have a problem with it. Like Leon, like we co-parent our daughter, Noelle, like this is my life and Peter knows what it is and everybody is cool with it. Yeah. And Noelle's having some trouble at school. So they all kind of talk about it and... Um, Cynthia's annoyed that 
like basically Leon says Noelle should go back to school and Cynthia's like she doesn't want to and the daughter comes out and goes I want to yeah I would also be annoyed that is (laughs) I'm with you Cynthia that is the life of parenting tween children you'll just get undermined in any possible way (laughs) I was I was sort of I was right there with Cynthia the entire time like you guys don't know what it's like this is my heart if she's not good I'm not good and then to come the full circle where Leon was right the entire time and then it was just quiet I know but I felt I do feel like it was based on things she was basing it on things Noelle had said before and then Noelle changed her mind and it's just like god damn it right this is where your perspective as a mom <laughs> is fundamentally important because I'm like oh I don't know what happened I guess she just like misunderstood everything and you're like no 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 no, no. <laughs> they just changed their minds right and act like they never said what they said oh, oh. classic freaking teenagers <laughs> totally so next we have Kenya yeah she's getting together with Lawrence I feel like Lawrence has kind of been in and out on the series right like he's kind of friends with some of the other ladies mm-hmm. he's like this cute young gay man yeah and so he's Magic Johnson's son his only son. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yep. Very cool. He's really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they just get together to gab. Mm-hmm. And so uh, during this conversation, like Kenya talks about how she's relocated to the to Atlanta for quote family and business, and she talks a lot about her boyfriend Walter. Um, they don't say it explicitly, <laughs> but it sounds like Walter is based out of Atlanta. There's this suggestion that she's relocated um, in order to maybe be more serious about their relationship. Um, it's odd. It's, it's I mean, very weird. Tanya, you know, I truly believe because she's been so consistent about this throughout her many seasons. I think she really does think very highly of herself. Oh, for and sure. And she speaks very highly of herself. But then when you see that she's trying to get Walter to commit, when we meet Walter, it's just like, what? Really? You're moving for Walter. Right? And I mean, listen, I'm not saying, I honestly, listen, Kenya is a lot of things, but like dishonest isn't really something that would be at the top of my list to describe her. But so she mentions how she's been like asked to be married six times and how this is the one that she's thinking that could be a thing. And they've talked about having kids and I'm not seeing that. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, we'll get, we'll discuss in more detail because the other ladies have questions too. Right. Um, But she basically introduces herself as she's an actor, producer, author, director, hustler. But Kenya says she's probably most known for being Miss USA. Right. Which is like, I don't know if a lot of people know <laughs> who's Miss USA at any given time or who has been in the past. Like, if I was going to know anyone, it'd probably be Miss America. And I absolutely don't know that. No. I don't know anything other than that girl who did that terrible interview where she's all like, such as, um, and the Iraq. Was that in Miss USA? I think it was a Miss USA pageant. Yeah. Okay, I'm pretty sure. It's, you know, it's it's kind of low rent compared to Miss America, right? I mean, yeah. And I mean, so we get to hear about this a little bit more throughout the season because we can see that Kenya knows where her checks are coming from and she is very explicit about the role of Miss USA and like her career. She's always like very positively talking about it. And so she describes it as Miss USA is like more of like the bad girl. Like they're a little bit more edgy mm-hmm. and Miss America is a lot more conservative. 
Um, as an FYI for our listeners, Miss USA is also the one that is or was owned by Donald Trump. So take with that information what you will. Interesting. And was it like 90? It was the 90s when she was Miss USA, right? I can't remember the year. Yeah, I don't. I want it, I want to guess like 93, 94. But yeah, I, I couldn't. Tell I think you. it's early to mid 90s. So it was oh, a good almost 20 years before yeah, this show at aired. Least. Yeah. And so she talks about how she lived in L.A. for 18 years and how, you know, she works out six days a week in order to, like, maintain her, quote, perfection. Yeah, she got six proposals and she works out six days a week. Interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. If you interesting. work out twice a week, you only get two proposals. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's what I've been doing wrong, Jules. I need to work out more. Oh. Um, one thing she mentions is that, and this is a pretty central issue for Kenya, mm-hmm. um, that she has a lot of trauma with her mom because her mom, I think was a teenager when she gave birth to her and then just never acknowledged her and still will like not admit that she ever had a baby. Yeah. And Kenya was raised by her family members, but not her mom. Right. And, and her pers- mom like won't speak to her. It's crazy. It's, it's wild. Um, and so she talks very lovingly of her aunt Lori, um, what I found sort of interesting and what I noted was that despite all of that, despite how Kenya's mother treats her, she still calls her Aunt Lori her aunt as opposed to anything else, even though this is the woman that sort of raised her. And so for me, it sort of, I guess, identified maybe something that remains like deep seated, which I could, I mean, I, I can only tangentially and from a distance understand, but I'm like, the idea, the concept that your mom would deny, like, your existence, deny her relationship with you for your entire life certainly had – it had to have had an impact on her. And Especially because d- she still wants the acknowledgement. Like, she really hasn't given up on that yet. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's sort of sad, but I, I appreciate that she – brings to it like a lightheartedness like she says it in a way that you would almost not hear it if you weren't you know Jules and Keynes listening very intently and taking copious notes right but it it, it's pretty sad when you sort of deconstruct what it means to say oh yeah even to this day right she denies ever having a child yeah it's really intense and it's like her family is still in touch with like it's like it's she's not really removed it's it almost be like probably easier for her if she'd just been like given up for adoption Mm -hmm. and just raised in a totally different family but she's sort of still part of this family where her mom won't acknowledge her yeah (sighs) so it's like you got to feel for kenya on some level like sometimes she makes it a little hard to sympathize with her but at the same time like i think she is going through real things. Yeah. And this is when we first meet her and she seems sort of like, I I don't know that we are ascribing a lot of meaning to the things that she's saying and the things that she's doing in real time. I think that we're seeing her as this like beautiful black woman who like made a career for herself and is like wanting to settle down, who has a little bit of like oddities when it comes to like family dynamics, but she seems overall like happy, very sure of herself, very confident and is just sort of ready to, you know, hit the ground running when it comes to moving her life forward. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. So now Candy has bought like basically a giant mansion. Yeah. Two properties. And yeah, she's bought two properties side by side with all of her money. And they're like kind of, she's like fixing them up. Mm -hmm. 
so she has Kim over and Kim acts <laughs> Kim acts so what's the word trashy <laughs> while she's getting the tour yeah so first she says oh candy lives in the ghetto so I had to lock my doors and it's like this is like a cold a beautiful cul-de-sac yeah like what are you talking about right um and also don't say ghetto right Kim um she asked candy how much her movers cost candy says 59 dollars an hour (laughs) (laughs) I mean and that's actually a pretty good deal but you know candy could afford more mm-hmm. um there's like this house is super big there's like it's not like a mess or anything but yeah they're probably gonna do new floors and stuff she shows her the indoor pool and oh, kim goes oh well i guess you don't need sun right and, oh. the, and she goes on to say well if i was black i'd have a pool indoors too and i'm like kim Kim, you wish you had an indoor pool. Like, what, everyone wants an indoor pool. What are you talking about? Right. I will say that this was a bit of a, for me, as somebody who had watched the show many years ago from the very beginning, I remember the very first season. So Kim has pretty much always been the only, like, white woman on Atlanta. And I remember in the first season where her, and I want to say it was Nini went to, like, a spa. And Kim says without any, like, hesitation she's like listen i don't know what black women have in their skin but whatever it is i want it i will pay whatever needs to be paid to get it because it's amazing their skin's beautiful and it's incredible and i was like what it was like i don't know what that is right (laughs) but to me i felt like that this was season one meeting kim is like this indication of she is not the type of oh i'm colorblind white woman she is very much like well yeah black women are this in not a negative way right but sort of observing how different things are but then she takes it to a non-natural or appropriate end right like she because she doesn't have the sense to be like okay I can acknowledge like I'm not colorblind that's great but then she also feels like she should just be able to say whatever she wants about people and their skin or anything about them and it's like that's where you need to dial it back like that's where she's just so entitled yeah it is I listen I I feel like this is going to be a really interesting us talking about Atlanta season five because I didn't realize I kind of like him yeah (laughs) I have definitely had moments where I like her in the past like you know sort of frivolous thing and she is just like such she's kind of just a riot to watch with all of her wackiness but um some of the stuff just it like makes me mad maybe because I'm also white I'm just like oh what are you doing mm-hmm. <laughs> why are you making us all look terrible and I'm, I'm like well la, 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 la. I know I should be used to it by now right as she like <laughs> screams as she leaves they got 90 days to evict so I'm gonna stay <laughs> oh my god oh my god yeah, and again, ah, uh, so many like wonderful um, pe- white people who aren't rich and are just like really great people, and I don't want to <laughs> cast any aspersions on them. This is very specific. Um, 
Also, Sweetie says she feels sorry for Candy because there's so much work to do. It's like you feel sorry for this rich lady who owns a mansion that she's going to fix up to be like really awesome. Okay. It it was wild. And this was, I think, to my earlier point about how so we see in the confessional Kim making the comments about, oh, well, you know, it was a foreclosure and – you know, I had to listen. When I got off the exit, I locked my doors because this is the hood. Meanwhile, she's like saying those things to Candy in real time. And Candy's like, um, the mayor lives down the street. And she's like, yeah. I'm not appreciating all these remarks that Kim's making about like my house. But I think Candy takes it in stride by saying, listen, she's probably not as happy with seeing me in my dream home and me like moving forward with my dreams while she's like in this not so great situation and then candy also reflects on the fact that drama tends to follow kim yeah kim has given her the whole oh well my house costs a hundred thousand to move as if this is like a flex like oh your house is so nice and expensive that it costs that much to move whereas candy's doesn't this is like okay whatever yeah. But yeah, drama does seem to follow Kim. Right. She creates it everywhere she goes. Oh my gosh. It's gross. Should we take a little break? Yes, let's do it. We're back. So... We're now going to visit Los Angeles, mm. where Nini is meeting with Ryan Murphy, oh my gosh. the creator of Glee, the creator of American Horror Story, many other things. Mm-hmm. He said that he watched her on Celebrity Apprentice. She was on that cursed show with Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. And he that's why he wanted to cast her in the show. Yeah. And so Ryan Murphy, um, just as a little bit of background, and this is only something because my obsession with pop culture and TV has no limits and so ryan murphy is a type of creator that likes to write characters for people so that they aren't necessarily being pushed outside their comfort zone he does this a lot and so you saw for a while there were like a bunch of shows in i guess the mid 2000s right where there were characters that were exactly these people and it was because I call it lazy, but Ryan Murphy was just like very invested in writing <sighs> characters based on people. And so part of this conversation to me made so much logical sense because he's trying to get to know Nini on a different level to like help her with her career, but also to get more ideas about what kind of storylines he wants to write for her character because he starts with the person. Yeah. And I would just say another important thing to know about Ryan Murphy is that he cannot land the plane. his shows will start out so compelling so fascinating you watch like two episodes you're like oh my god i'm in yeah by the finale you will no longer be in and i'm out (laughs) yeah and it's like oh my god the first season of glee was so good glee went so nuts toward the like there's so many shows where it's just like i wanted to love this but you only wrote the first act and you didn't think at all about the second and third act and it's frustrating yeah and Maybe he's to blame for the new normal, not having any staying power. I think that that's exactly right. I think it was his fault. Right. It's not Nini's fault. Definitely not Nini's fault. Um, so there, Ryan Murphy is at this dinner with uh, Nini. He's talking about different ideas, and he's uh, talking about maybe having a storyline where her character, I think her name was Roz on the show, 
Um, but where Nini's character has like an Italian lover, and she's he's like, oh, isn't don't aren't you like dating an Italian man or something like that? Yeah, because last season she went on this like weird date with this very weird Italian guy who's like trying to give her watches. Oh my gosh! <laughs> when I tell you, my brother and I, mostly my brother, quotes this all the time, right? Like, what is that? Bling 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 bling. <laughs> So freaking, it's so weird. So, um, you know, we know from the start of the episode that Greg is trying to get back with Nini. And instead of like mentioning that in her confessional, or I don't actually remember, I just wrote down that she says, of course, other men are pursuing me. Like, duh. Of course. <laughs> She's Nini. And I love that for her. And I love that for the storyline. And so she um, talks about, uh, she talks to uh, Ryan Murphy about proposing, oh, well, what if there's like a marriage that ended and then they're dating in order to get back together? And he says, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And she's like, well, that's my life. Wow. What a writer. Wow. Right. <laughs> How did you come up with that? Right. That's where I, I mean, listen, whatever. The best part about this dinner is that they start talking about Tyler Perry and <sighs> how she knows Tyler Perry. And he's like, why have you worked with him? She's like, oh, we're such good friends. I don't know. Like, it would ruin their friendship if she tried to be in one right. of his movies. She's like, let's call him. And she calls. And the number is disconnected. <laughs> and she goes, oh, wait, no. I think I think that was wrong. Hold on. And she does it again. Same result, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I don't think they're such good friends. I wonder also if she just called him a lot. Like, she was like, hi, Tyler Perry's number. Time for my Sunday morning call. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hey, Tyler. Hey, Mr. Perry. Like, who knows? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so now we're going to get to some oh. conflict. Oh, my gosh. At Cynthia's modeling agency, mm-hmm. the bailing agency. They're casting for Jet Beauty Model of the Week. So they need kind of like a sexy lady. So all these models are there in bathing suits to mm-hmm. try to like be one of the Jet Models of the Week. Right. And Kenya's there, I guess, to help because she was in pageants and she's acted. Or, yeah. And maybe she's modeled. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. That. She's a former Miss USA. And so Cynthia does invite Kenya to be a part of it because I think that her perspective is like, oh, well, she'll know a lot about what it means to like do presentation um she is also like sort of modeled a little bit I I think it would be a great value add to the search is I think what she says (laughs) if you heard a weird sound it was Mooney drinking water (laughs) no go away oh the chaos Um, so as you were mentioning, so the models, um, they're all in bathing suits and then we see Kenya being what can only be described as wildly unprofessional. She is, she's like, oh, there are women in front of me wearing bathing suits. I'm going to make them feel horrible. Right. It's like so intense. Like she won't stop. She's like, oh, I can see your butt crack. I can see your coochie crack. What you should wear that to an audition. And she's, you know, the funny thing is people are like, hey, that's not cool. Stop talking to the models that way. Like, 
over and over again. Mm-hmm. Kind of surprisingly, because I just feel like there's so many situations like this where people don't know what to say and they're just kind of like shrinking into themselves. But like she's actually getting a lot of feedback being like, please stop doing this. Yeah. And it's like she's so obstinate in the face of that feedback. Like she will not stop. She's like, what? I'm just, you know, I'm helping them. Right. And so meanwhile, we see – so exactly what you just said like all of these terrible things she also mentions like oh you didn't shave like you didn't realize what was happening here um and it's and at one point there is a model who walks by and then kenya says that's a man which is so derogatory and so just disrespectful like she's clearly meaning it as an insult which is i mean i don't think that something like that would fly nowadays but she's being overtly rude it's like there really is no reason for this ca- giant casting call to say anything to each model because you're just going to cast the ones that you like. But yeah. it's like I think she's seeing the opportunity of like, oh, I can. She has a mean streak. Like there's I'm I'm sorry to tell you all, but <laughs> Kenya can be great. But like there's part of her that's really angry and like mm-hmm. wants to put women down, I think. Oh, I think so, too. Right. And I think it's particularly interesting when it's juxtaposed to Cynthia who is a famous supermodel yeah in fact um Cynthia's like I think Kenya is being a bit of a hypocrite because I wouldn't be caught dead doing some of the work that I've seen her do (laughs) and they cut to like Kenya in like a booty shot in lingerie on smooth (laughs) magazine (laughs) so good it was so good. <laughs> and Cynthia in the room is really trying to like pour into these women. So rather than making these like flippant side comments, she says things like, oh, well, you know, you have more of a model body. But for this, we're really looking for a little bit, you know, of a different body type. But it doesn't mean that you're not beautiful. And she says, right, to your point, multiple times to Kenya, like, hey, we're not here to tear anybody down because it's not what the Bailey agency is about. And then the Jet people are like, yeah, it's not what Jet is about either. Right. They really don't like this. They're the clients. Oh, my gosh. And then we get this massively ridiculous moment where an employee of the Bailey agency is like trying to talk to Kenya about her behavior and then she doesn't like what he has to say so she just starts screaming security security and Cynthia's like I don't know what she was talking about because we don't have security here but then this giant man comes up behind my employee and starts pushing him out the door and it's because Kenya brought a bodyguard because she is a public figure and quote always has security with me when this is the only time we ever see her with security I think and also are you a public figure yeah it's like I mean, I I just can't imagine like you're like Miss USA of 1994 is not like <laughs> the paparazzi have left you alone. Right. In circa 2011, 2012. Right. Like a side video girl that wasn't Melissa Ford. I don't know who you are, girl, but whatever, whatever. Um, so then Cynthia ends up having to like interject. And, be, and so that's we find out. Oh, no, no. Carlton works for the school. Um, and then Cynthia has this great line where she's like, that she has security when nobody knows who she is is crazy to me. Absolutely. Cynthia, truer words. Like sometimes right. Cynthia can just say it like it is. Right. I mean, Cynthia is beautiful. And I feel like sometimes I forget, especially in the earlier seasons, how well she could read. But I'm like, girl, you knew exactly what you were doing when you said that. <laughs> because facts, facts on yeah. facts. So 
Cynthia kind of says, hey, this is what we're not going to do. This is how we're going to treat people. And then it's like, oh, it turns out we've already seen all the models. So now we have to call them all back. Yeah. And Kenya stands up and is like, thank you all for being here. (laughs) It was amazing. And then so Cynthia afterwards stands up and is just like, yeah, as the leader of the Bailey agency, I want to thank you for being here. And Kenya's like, she just copied everything I said. Like, it was so clear, I think, to everybody that Cynthia always planned on saying those yes. things. Just, what else are you going to say? Right? Like, of course, she's going to end the entire event by, like, thanking the models and saying all these things. And meanwhile, Kenya does what she does. And then she's like, I think Cynthia is intimidated by me. And I'm that's like, why she's copying me by thanking the models. What is <laughs> And during Cynthia's speech, she's like, I just said that. Like, why are you saying? I literally just said that. And I'm like, Kenya, stop it. Literally stop it. She's so ridiculous. Yeah. And so that brings us to the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a slow burn at the beginning. Yes. But we do have some drama here. And I can't wait to see how all these other ladies are going to interact with one another and how Kenya is going to be in the mix. Oh my goodness. It's going to, it's, I wish that I didn't know, but I know. And it's so good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Keens, I'm going to ask you two questions. Yeah. Who is your peach and who is your pit? Oh my goodness. The pressure is on, but I think that this is actually very easy because my loyalties run deep when it comes to Atlanta. And so my peach is always Phaedra because she carries herself with a level of class and shenanigans that I can't, it can't be replicated. I mean, Phaedra is probably my all time favorite housewife ever. I love her so much. So she is the peach in my heart and in my soul. Meanwhile, the pit would have to be Kenya because I also don't like Kenya. Never have, never will. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. Shocker. Shocker. I'm the same. <sighs> I can't believe it. Well, okay. We'll try to remain unbiased in our coverage. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes, we will. Because listen, and this is the one thing that I think has been so great is the reminder that sometimes your faves are not the best reality TV. And Kenya is fantastic reality tv at this moment right yeah and also i do think there are things to love about her like she does have some great moments so i think there's gonna be something for everybody i think so too so who is your peach and who's your pit i have to agree it's phaedra and also i loved her her dream of being the very wing of funeral directors (laughs) her going to a random veterinarian's office to try to hustle for like send people my way for luxury pet funerals. <laughs> it's just like, and then she does it all with such charm and confidence. Oh, like a mint julep. Baby. Oh my gosh. So yeah. Good. She is the peach. Um, my pit. I mean, I would say Kenya because honestly she was being so mean, mm-hmm. but I have to say ultimately it's Kim. Yeah. Because if she was just trying to squat in her mansion, I would be more sympathetic, but she like going and putting down candies house was just so silly and so transparent it's just like get yourself together what are you doing yeah I have to agree it was so unnecessary and I think maybe I forgot about that because Candy as usual really handled herself with like class and humor like she's one of the people unless you get her really mad she will just laugh off pretty much everything yeah she's like a well-adjusted person who's good at dealing with things but 
she does have a fuse. Right? More and it's really fun that. when <laughs> she reaches her end. <laughs> so good. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so that brings us to the end of episode one of season five of Real Housewives of Atlanta. I can't wait for episode two. We get to meet Portia. So, many, so much fun <sighs> is in our future. So much fun. I can't wait for it. But until next time. See you then. Bye. Double Vision is created by Jules and Keens. Starring Jules and Keens. Produced and edited by Juliana Tringali-Golden. <laughs>